Welcome back to episode 27, where I catch up with Lydia O'Donnell, elite marathon runner and co-founder of FEMI. Lydia always speaks so well and openly about her own journey with running and well-being, and although she has talked on many different podcasts, I hope you gain some new insights by what we cover in this really meaningful conversation. Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, you can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. I am joined by Lydia O'Donnell today. It's so good to have you on. Whereabouts are you speaking from? Hey, Kushla, and uh, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. I am currently in Melbourne, Australia. I've been living between Melbourne and Noosa this year. So I'm in Melbourne and it's a bit cold and raining at the moment. So I am missing the sunshine. (laughs) Noosa is not a bad place to spend your time. It's beautiful. The running up there is just so amazing. And yeah, the beach, it does remind me of home back in New Zealand at the Mount a lot. But um, yeah, I'm missing it. Excited to get back up there. Yeah, oh, definitely. So um, being quite a running focused podcast, I don't think there'll be many people listening to this who don't know who you are. Um, and I've previously heard you chat a lot about, well, I think it was in one of your podcasts that we shouldn't just introduce ourselves and define ourselves as a runner. Um, so besides being an incredible runner, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, I love that because I feel like people, when they first meet someone, it's kind of the first question people ask is like, oh, what do you do? And everyone goes immediately to their career. And I find that funny because our career definitely shouldn't define us. I would like to think I'm a a loving and supportive daughter. Um, my parents live in Tauranga. And my dad is actually relatively unwell at the moment, but he's a, a fighter, so he's he's getting there. Um, and I am a caring friend. I've got some beautiful friends around me. A lot of my close friends are still back in New Zealand. I've definitely got some good friends here in Australia, but I'd say most of my best friends are back home, which I miss a lot. Um, my best best friend, Esther, is my co-founder of my business, Femi, so we spend a lot of time over Zoom together. Um, so yeah, I think I, I try to be a really encouraging and supportive person to the people around me, and whether that is through my work or just, you know, as someone that is you know, has a relationship with people around me. That's what I like to do. And um, yeah, my my boyfriend is here in Australia as well. So we we kind of have this weird, like long distance relationship going on. We spend a little bit of time with each other every month or so, which doesn't seem like a lot, but um, it's it's amazing to have someone who's so supportive and caring. He's my biggest cheerleader and I would say Femi's biggest cheerleader as well. So very lucky to have him. That's a really nice way to introduce yourself. I love that. Yeah. 
Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I'm really talking myself up here. but um, No way. I That's think, amazing. Yeah, those key qualities and your values definitely define who you are. It's not about what you do. It is how you make people feel, which is as cliche and cringe as that sounds. I think it's very true. And that um, whenever you talked about that, it's stuck in my mind. And I often think about that now when people like ask, oh, who are you? Like, what do you do? I try and actually not just say, oh, I'm a dietitian or yeah, because it's just like there's so much more than just what we do, right? So Yeah, it is a funny thing. It's like with runners, because running is something that you can do every day if you wanted to, it does become part of you, your personality, your identity to a lot of people. And so people immediately jump to like, what do you do? Oh, I run. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, running is one thing that you do, but there's so many other things that people do in their lives. And it's just like, if you wanted me to sit here and list off everything I do, we could be here for a while. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I guess running is it is a whole lifestyle though, isn't it? So it's easy to say that, but yeah. It is, but it can be dangerous. You know, I think we all know how dangerous it can be when you start identifying with something that you do, mm. like running, and if you get injured or sick or anything down those pathways, it can be detrimental to your mental health. So it is important to kind of find your identity away from things that you do do. Absolutely. Mm. So you're very popular on podcasts. You've been on many and I feel like I've probably listened to all of them. So I really tried today with some of the points that we're going to discuss to not just repeat a lot of questions or topics you've done previously. I'm sure there'll be some overlap, but hopefully there's a few different ones in there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm excited to chat. But to start at the beginning, a little bit of background, like when in your life did you go, yeah, running's for me. I love it. I really want to pursue this. I think for me as a child, and this is probably something I've only started reflecting on in the last couple of years, like thinking back to who I was when I was a kid and the personality that I had and how I acted. And it's funny when I talk to my sister, especially, but my mum as well, like I was definitely the hyperactive kid who just wanted to do everything. And I think I had a really innate drive to be what someone may deem as successful from a pretty young age. I, I kind of wanted to be like performing on some level and for me I was dancing as a young kid and so ballet and dancing to me was like in my mind I thought I was going to grow up as a dancer on a stage performing Uh, but now it's funny I I guess what I do to some degree is a performance uh, but it's just encouraging people to you know be part of this movement of running Uh, so it's just a different voice for probably the same purpose so for me like when I started running competitively throughout high school I think that's when I was like, I really want to do this forever, but the possibility of that is very low. Like it's it's not a high chance that you can be a you know high performing uh, professional athlete, especially coming from New Zealand. So I don't know if I 100% believed that I was going to grow up running and turning it into my career, but I think I did believe in myself that whatever I was going to do, I was going to go 110% at it and give it everything I possibly could to to achieve success, I guess. So uh, I think for me running when I was young, it was really just like a connection point to other people and having fun. And by doing that, I got to learn uh, how good it could make me feel both mentally and physically, but it wasn't like I chose running to be mentally well or physically well at a young age. It was just like I had fun because my friends were doing it. And then I learned how amazing it was for my health. And then through that, especially through my own mental challenges, using running as a really powerful tool to help me get back on path. That's where it really hit me that this is an incredible 
act that all of us can do to help look after our, both our body and our minds. Mm. Did you take running quite seriously as a teenager or was it purely just for fun? It was really for fun. Like yeah. I think I wanted to train harder and I think I wanted to be better as a teenager. I was coming, I think my best place in national secondary schools was 13th or 12th, which is still amazing because there's hundreds of girls that line up in those races but I was never winning and I was never placing even top three or top five at those races but I in my mind I wanted to but I had such an amazing coach when I was at school who really encouraged me just to have fun to like not be too obsessed with competing and winning medals and to just like go out there and enjoy the process of running she always said to us you know be patient. No one remembers a young athlete. Like your success will come later in life. You just have to be patient with it. And I was just so fortunate to actually trust her and believe her. And so grateful now when I look back and those times in my life, I don't know if I'd still be running if I didn't have someone like her telling me that. Um, so yes, I took it seriously to a degree, but I think because I was surrounded by such an incredible group of girls at my high school, we had the the best performing team across New Zealand. So we were winning medals as a team, but just not individually. So I still got that kind of satisfaction or reward of winning, but it was kind of even better because I had my friends around me also winning as well. <laughs> Very cool. And with your coaching cap on and from those experiences in your life, do you think any teenage girl should take their running super seriously or do you think it purely should just be for enjoyment at that age? Yeah, I think about a lot of teenage girls and I think where that pressure is coming from for them to be forming at such a high level. And I would say a majority of that pressure is coming from their parents or their teachers or coaches, the adults around them. Mm -hmm. I highly doubt they're putting that pressure on themselves to be always winning. So I would highly encourage the coaches and the, and the teachers and the parents to kind of really just look at the situation and analyze like, why am I trying to force my child to be the best of the best at this age? Like an understanding that there is no sustainability in it when you are pushing young girls to be performing, especially before puberty. Like if they're trying to run these incredibly fast times and massive Ks at such a young age, it's so like detrimental to their health and also to their enjoyment factor in the sport like if they're not having a good time they're not going to want to do that sport for very long so for me it's like make sure that the athlete is enjoying herself but also like understand the approach you're taking to your coaching with her as an adult like there is no point in pushing a young young girl like I was nowhere near performing at my best as a teenage girl and I know there are athletes who are my age who were and haven't run any faster since they were teenagers and that's because they just had a wall and couldn't you know push past that mm -hmm. so yeah I think the most important thing for any sport not just for running but for any sport with young girls taking part the most important thing is that they're having a good time, that they are creating like a social network around them. They're building a community within their school groups or their um, club teams. And that, yes, they're getting fitter and stronger, but in a really sustainable, gradual way. And then when they go through that kind of puberty slump, which happens to all of us, performance is going to be lost at some point. And we just have to accept that and know that that's going to happen and be patient with ourselves because the statistics of young girls dropping out of sport is two times that of boys. And 
a lot of that comes from the lack of confidence, which is lost going through puberty and getting your period. And then other than that, it's coming from uh, the drop in performance they see, see through going through puberty. So when you know that's going to come, you can accept it and you can just continue, move on, be patient, and your performance will come back. But if you don't know what's happening, you freak out. I'm not any good at the sport. I'm not winning anymore. I don't want to take part. I feel really bad about myself and then lose more confidence. So, yeah, as a teenage girl, she should just be having a good time out there and just seeing the long term and, and seeing what she could be achieving in the future. She takes a really smart approach to her training now. Do you feel like you experienced that slump in your own performance being younger? I definitely did. I think for me, because I wasn't training super hard as a teenage girl, I think I was running maybe like three or four times a week, which is still a lot, but it's not like I was training every single day like some of the girls were that I was competing against. And I wasn't performing at an incredibly high level, but I definitely know once I, around the ages of 16, 17, so for me that would have been sixth form, seventh form, which is I think now year 12, year 13, shows how old I am. Um, I think that's when I was, I like, I really got a lot stronger and a lot faster in those later years in my um, high school running career. And I think that was because I'd gone through puberty. I kind of got that out of my system. My hormones were now like, if you want to call it balancing out. And I was getting into this like routine of having a really healthy menstrual cycle and I was able to perform really well. And I think in my last year at high school that was when I did place, that was in road champs, so a little different to cross country. Um, and I think from there, I was like, you know what, maybe I am good at this thing running and I, I do want to continue to do it um, and perform at that level. But I think if I hadn't let myself go through puberty through like when I was 12, 13, 14, I don't know if I would have like been able to continue to get better. Mm. So it sounds like that earlier time for you was really positive with running and exercise. Has that always been the case with your running journey? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I... I was very fortunate to have a pretty healthy relationship with exercise and running through high school. And then after high school, I was given a pretty amazing opportunity to go to the uh, university in America and become part of the NCAA system over there where I actually only ended up staying for about six weeks and having a uh, pretty traumatic time over there. I got pretty unwell, but also the system over there was just so different to New Zealand. The culture was completely different. So it was a really shock to me and, and my approach to running and everything was just very serious and very competitive. And I'd come from this like really beautiful, holistic community of runners to them being like, you have to be competing. I don't care how healthy or how unhealthy you are you're just going to make up the numbers and it was just like there was a lot of pressure so I ended up taking a step away from running after that I came home after about six weeks and then took about 18 months away from the sport and through that time my mental health really suffered as I think a lot of teenagers mental health does when they are kind of trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do and um and that wasn't really until yeah 18 months later that I was like you know what running is one thing I this and I know will help me and I started to get back into the sport and from about 18 about 19 years old I had been running pretty consistently but throughout my 20s my relationship with exercise and running was all over the show like I had was being coached by male coaches through my 20s and when I was about 20 uh, my male coach was putting a lot of pressure on me to be looking a certain way there was a lot of pressure around lean is fast or skinny is fast and you kind of have to look that certain way to be performing at a certain level and 
I had uh, instances where I had my male coach like literally grabbing my stomach and telling me that if I lost that, I'd be able to run faster. Um, I had people encouraging me to go on diet supplements to lose weight. So as you can imagine through this time when people are pulling your body apart, I lost a lot of confidence in myself and in myself as an athlete and just in who I was and what I looked like. And I went on a pretty uh, whirlwind of a five-year journey just like losing confidence, trying to find confidence, trying to lose weight, trying to fit into a box, trying to perform at the same time, as well as being a female and trying to do everything else that comes with being a woman and trying to find just a place in society. And I, it really impacted my mental and physical health to the point I lost my menstrual cycle and went down the path of relative energy deficiency syndrome in sport. So it was about 25 where I ended up so ill that I ended up having to quit my job and crazy like what your body can do in terms of like holding on to the very like finish line as soon as the day I went to work and quit my job the next the next morning I was admitted to hospital and my body was just shutting down on me like I had just like really pushed my body right to the brink and it wasn't the running that had done this to me it, it wasn't I wasn't necessarily overtraining. I was just I was training a lot for a marathon I was also in the gym I was boxing as well and I was restricting my diet to the point I just had zero energy. And I cut out carbohydrates for six months thinking that was going to help me lose weight so I could fit into this box to keep my coaches and society happy. And it really just went the opposite way. I ended up putting on weight, my body shut down, and I ended up having to take a step away from the sport of running for a while. So I think through that five-year journey, it was like so hard and my emotions were all over the place, but I learned so much about myself and I definitely wouldn't be where I am today without going through that journey and, and kind of living all those unfortunate mistakes. And now I'm just on a mission to hopefully change that for other women so that they don't have to go through what I went through and, and they can feel confident in their body no matter what they look like. Mm. And there's something about having the expertise as well as the lived experience as well. It just... Um, I don't know, it just gives you so much more understanding and a deeper level of empathy, I think, for those you work alongside as well. Um, do you think through that time where you were having those struggles and, like, you lost your menstrual cycle and things, were you always really transparent with, like, your followers about what was going on or do you think it was kind of like a hidden away thing then? I think a lot of it was hidden. I wouldn't say I was um, consciously trying to hide what was going on internally I didn't even know what was going on internally. I had never heard of Red S. I'd heard of the female athlete triad. Mm -hmm. I did not look underweight. I didn't look anorexic. I didn't look like I was suffering an eating disorder. Um, so it wasn't like I kind of fell into that box of like having all three of those issues to be suffering from the female athlete triad. And because I'd never heard of relative energy deficiency syndrome, I was kind of like when I lost my menstrual cycle, I honestly thought it was like a badge of honor. I thought it was something that was really good because at the time, all we had really been told by coaches and athletes and the sporting world is that like, if you lose your period, it means you're training hard enough and you're not eating too much. And that's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I lost my menstrual cycle, I just turned a blind eye to it. I just kind of was like, yay, but like didn't even think about it. And then it wasn't until all these other symptoms were coming along. I wasn't sleeping 
my hair was falling out. I had incredibly bad skin. My skin was breaking out. I, my bowel movements completely slowed down. And it wasn't until kind of all these things came that I had to like really just like take a hard look in the mirror and be like, what is going on? So at the time through social media, I think I just really um, heroed the fact that I was running heaps and training heaps and working a lot and, um, you know, trying to show the world that like, yeah, we can do it all. We're a woman and we can do it all. And I think that was a massive part of my story is like trying to prove myself in society, which is really unfortunate. Isn't my fault. It's just the world that we've grown up in. So I don't think I was like open about the journey enough, but when I did start to learn about reds and when I went through it, I just thought I had chronic fatigue and I'd lost my menstrual cycle. And, um, it definitely wasn't that it was reds. Now I know that. And, um, yeah, it wasn't until I kind of went through the journey of learning and understanding all about healthy hormones and the importance of them and fueling correctly and how important it is to eat carbohydrates. Um, it wasn't until I kind of learned that myself that I started to kind of open up and talk about this issue that I went through and the amount of people that like, felt or resonated with my story because they'd been through it too. I was just like, wow, I'm so gutted we didn't know this earlier, but we obviously know it now. So it's great that we can kind of spread this education beyond just athletes as well. Isn't it wild that in our teenage years that we're not even taught about what a normal healthy menstrual cycle looks like? Crazy, like so crazy. And I've like always had a pretty heavy period and I was kind of always like thought it was normal to have a, a like I wouldn't say severely, but it's it was pretty heavy. I remember going to a training camp. I think it was a race that we went to at high school and I – was so afraid because I was sharing a bed with one of the other athletes. I always will never forget this. And I remember I had my period and I was really worried to go to sleep in this bed with this girl that I didn't really know. And so I wore a tampon, a pad, two pairs of underwears, running shorts and track pants to bed. And I'm not kidding you, my period leaked into the bed. And yeah, this was like when I was probably like 12 or 13 years old and I was mortified, like, so embarrassed and like just not being able to talk about your period and to say to the girls in the room like I've got a, my period at the moment and this is how I feel about it and the other girls being able to support you 100% these girls would have supported me but because we've been encouraged to not speak about it I couldn't talk to anyone about it so I was going through this like really traumatic experience as a 12 year old by myself and not being able to open up and I'm like that's like yeah, I mean, that's, that story isn't life-threatening. It's just that that's affected me. that affected me for a long time and just one instance of girls not being able to talk about their periods and us, like, not knowing anything about our menstrual cycle and wishing our menstrual cycle away because we think that having a period is a really bad thing and that, you know, it's annoying and it's a nuisance and it makes us feel terrible and all these really negative connotations that come along with your menstrual cycle and it it really impacts the way you feel about your body because it is your body that is producing this menstrual cycle and this this period that you get every month. And when you start talking negatively about your body, that can just impact your relationship with your body so much. So what I have just like absolutely loved seeing over the last couple of years is the way that women's relationships change with their body by just learning about their menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really exciting by the work we're doing at Femi is just like, 
encouraging women to understand, to learn and to speak about their periods. Definitely. And yeah, we'll get to Femi. I'm excited to talk a bit about that too, but it's, it's just crazy. Like, you know, as a young girl, or girls that we just feel like we can't even talk about it um and we all experience it we all go through it but it you know it's a little hush hush but I think the more conversations we have and like Femi and all of those great organizations women are coming out and talking a lot more about it and it's a more well-known thing now um and we're embracing it rather than being like oh no like I hate this it's awful um (laughs) yeah I think it's so cool it's so cool for athletes like you know, Lydia Ko and some of the world-renowned female athletes getting up in front of media and being like, yeah, it's that time of the month or I've got my period or like this is why I potentially didn't perform as well as I could usually perform because of this and this. Like being so open about it is so powerful and I hope I hope will change the world for women in sport and exercise going forwards. I loved it. It wasn't that long ago Lydia Ko was interviewed and I think it was an older male interviewer asking her and she just so like casually said that she'd had a period during the day and he was just so stumped as to what to say (laughs) (laughs) I know it was actually really embarrassing for him I'm like the way he responded to her when she said oh yeah I've got a sore back you know it's that time of the month he was so awkward about it and this is why we need this education it's because people don't even know they feel so uncomfortable with the conversation and they don't feel confident enough to respond in a way that's like respectful and engaging so they just stand there really awkwardly and it's like, <laughs> we need this education to go, yeah, beyond just coaches and trainers and athletes, like everyone needs to know more about periods of menstrual cycles. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you've already touched on this a little bit of just how powerful running is for your own mental health. So with having a turbulent relationship with running in your 20s, how did you, or how do you still manage now? Like when you're, say, really unwell or you're injured, how do you cope with mental well-being? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's something that I still struggle with, sort of. I think through the last few years, especially through COVID and even before that in 2019, I had a pretty challenging time where I was training really hard. I had a lot of expectation and pressure put upon me to be qualified for world champs. And I didn't quite get there. I ended up just actually pulling out of the marathon, the qualifying marathon, where I was trying to get the time for world champs after a huge build and a lot of time and money invested into it. And I think that made me really like reassess my relationship with running. Immediately after I pulled out of that marathon at about 33Ks, I said to myself, it's, that's it. Like, I'm not running again. I don't want to do this. It's too much pressure and I'm not having a good time. And within a few days, I said, you know, I love running. I shouldn't define my relationship with running by my results. And it shouldn't matter how fast or how slow or what placing or what teams I'm making. I should be able to run and enjoy it because everybody deserves to to do that. And so I ended up signing up to a few races after that. And I really just went into those races with a complete open mind of like, don't even look at your watch, just run to how you feel and see how you go. And I ended up running a PB in the marathon about two months after the one I pulled out of. And then the following year, I broke my half marathon 10K and 5K PBs. And I think by doing that and just like reassessing that relationship, it made me be like, well, yeah, it doesn't matter how how much um, pressure is being put upon you by other people. All I can control is the pressure and expectation I'm putting upon myself. And 
if I can remove that pressure, then do it because I actually perform way better when I'm just out there having a good time. So now I'm in a pretty like um, balanced space with my running. And I think through COVID, especially at the start of this year, we've been really sick. I had to take a lot of time off. And like five years ago, I would have been having an absolute meltdown about not being able to run. And now I'm just like, yeah, my health is my priority. I need to look after myself. If that means I need to take two weeks off running, I might slightly lose some conditioning, but I'm not really going to lose much fitness. Like it is actually okay to take time off. And even recently we've had a lot of work on with Femi and at Nike and in the weekend we had the Melbourne Marathon. So I wasn't able to do my own training. And like usually, yeah, I would be so anxious about the fact I'm missing training. And I just, I think I've been able to really uh, just reassess how I'm approaching training and running and realizing that it, one training session or two training sessions, even a week or two, like it's not going to affect anything. But what will affect things if it, is if I train too much and not recover well and work too hard and then end up in a rabbit hole of, you know, red S again or chronic fatigue or whatever. So uh, I think my relationship with running is really healthy now, but there's still room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, for some people it does take time. I, for me, it definitely took time, but I'm hoping that by how much we speak about, you know, holistic training and I think other athletes are now speaking about it. I'm hoping that people can kind of speed up that process of learning it themselves because it took me many, many years to learn it. And I think if I knew what I know now back when I was in my twenties, I would have performed so much better, but um, unfortunately I just had to go through those challenging times. So if you're young out there and you're listening learn from my mistakes because I made plenty of them and um yeah you will definitely be better off if you don't do what I did when I was in my 20s Mm. when and when like you for example earlier in the year you said you had um COVID and you got influenza as well um so what besides I guess challenging your own mindset and being a bit more okay with having to take rest is there any like daily practices you do or anything that helps you manage that anxiety about not running? Yeah, so through COVID and influenza, actually, I was so sick that I couldn't really do anything physical. So I wasn't, I wasn't even able to, well, obviously with COVID, you're pretty much stuck in your house, but you're, I wasn't even able to get out and go for a walk or even do yoga at some days. I literally had to just sit in bed. But for me, I really just lean on the act of, gratitude and I just practice gratitude all the time and I think I've learned gratitude through the act of running and it's something I talk about all the time because running is a pretty hard sport and you have to be grateful for the small things when you're out racing by yourself especially in the marathon like when you're going through the absolute pits of the race like 35 36 k's and you have to keep on pace you kind of have to find little moments in the race that keep you happy and keep you grateful for the opportunity to be racing. And if that is like someone cheering for you on the sideline or a glass of water or whatever, it might be a little downhill, like you're full, so grateful for those little moments. And so for me, when I'm going through those tough times, especially when I'm sick or last year when my dad got ill and I got put in MIQ for two weeks by myself and it's those moments where gratitude just pulls you through. If you can really be grateful for small things in your life, like I'm a very privileged person. I live a very privileged life. I I know that. And so being aware of that privilege and like being grateful for the things around me definitely helped me get through mentally when times are pretty tough. Mm. 
And life is all about the little things day to day. It's not about the big stuff. So I think celebrating the small wins daily is most important. A hundred percent. We take all of it for granted. Mm. Like there's so many amazing things that happen every day. And yeah, I think I listened to Ben Crow speaking this morning. I don't know if you know Ben Crow. He's a mindset coach here in Australia. And he does, um, I think it's Mojo Fridays. And he was talking about just that. Like if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do today? And it's like, making the most of every day in those small situations and it's not like changing your life dramatically today but just like being aware of the goodness that happens in every moment I think is so powerful Mm, I like that yeah definitely um so having a really healthy relationship mostly with running now and I mean I think for everyone too and with food it can be ebbs and flows and it's not about trying to be perfect it's just doing the best we can but what does your current training look like? And I'd really love to also know how you train around your own menstrual cycle. Yeah, so at the moment, I'm not in any like specific training for any races. I um, raced a half marathon in August and then I raced a 10K in Sydney in September. And I was going to run Chicago Marathon. It's actually coming up this weekend, but I did pull pin on the marathon pretty much because I was just over stressed overworked I didn't have the time to commit to marathon training and I did it one and a half upset so I pulled pin on Chicago about five weeks ago and I think it was probably the best decision I've ever made because it just felt like a huge weight off my shoulders so I'm not really in like a specific training block at the moment but to give you a bit of an idea I usually take uh, Monday as like an easy day so I'll jog either one longer sort of jog in the morning or just break it up into a double jog one in the morning one at night Tuesdays, I usually do speed sessions. So doing something a little bit harder in the morning and then easy jog at night. And I will try to load up my hard day. So I'll go to the gym as well on a Tuesday. So hard days, hard, easy days, easy. Uh, Wednesday is usually like an easy midweek long run. So it might be anything up to an hour and a half, but just really easy pace. Thursday will be something steady. So a little bit faster, maybe some strides where we're just taking the legs over a bit quicker. Friday is easy days, and I usually do that with our female community here um, in Melbourne, which is awesome. Saturday is my long run day. So in marathon training, we get our long runs up to three hours, but at the moment I'm getting them up to probably about two hours. And then uh, Sunday is like an easy day, just pretty much how does my body feel, what am I capable of today, and just do whatever feels right. So in marathon training, I'm getting anywhere up to about 155, 160Ks. At the moment, I'm probably sitting more around 120 to 130 yeah wow and then yeah so it's still a lot of running it is I think because I've been running consistently anywhere like between 140 and 160 for the last few years um where I'm at right now feels like very achievable which is really nice but everyone is different 100ks to a lot of people is a lot Mm. of work for the week so don't compare yourself to me because everyone is different I have been running since I was pretty much born Um, (laughs) in terms of um, my menstrual cycle so I'm not someone, everybody's different. I'm not someone who's like completely, um, I'm not someone who is completely affected by my menstrual cycle. So I do still adapt my training to my menstrual cycle, but I also really just hone into how my body is feeling and listen to how my body is feeling and adapt it to that. But I do tend to try and push the pace in the first half of the cycle. So for those who don't know, you can break your menstrual cycle up into different phases. The first 
big phase is called the follicular phase and the, the second half of the cycle is called the luteal phase. And during the follicular phase, your hormones are relatively low. So they start off really low through into ovulation, estrogen rises and peaks before it drops off again. And through this phase, I feel really good. Like even when I'm on my period, I feel really good. So I tend to do a pretty hard session on like day two or three of my cycle and know that I can hit it pretty hard and pretty well and hit some pretty fast paces. And then, so that might be something like a eight by one K or a eight by three minutes or mile rep session. And then the other kind of workout that I'll do in my follicular phase will be more of like a fartlek workout where I'm pushing the pace and pulling it back and kind of controlling the pace throughout. And then when I go into my luteal phase is when I really pull the speed sessions back. So most of the time throughout my cycle, it's just the speed session that I'm adapting to my cycle. It might be my long run as well if I'm in a marathon block and I'm trying to push pace in marathons, but I won't only push pace at the start of my cycle where my hormones are in my favor. And then in the luteal phase, I tend to like pull the intensity back. So speed workouts in my luteal phase are generally around like progressive tempos, maybe week three of my period of my menstrual cycle. And then in week four where my progesterone and estrogen are about to drop off. That's probably where I feel, I guess, my worst. Mm -hmm. And I do give myself a bit more time to recover. And I'll either skip a speed session altogether or I'll just do a tempo session that might be at like marathon pace and pretty controlled. So, yeah, I guess the easiest way to put it is like higher intensity, harder sessions at the start of my cycle and then lower intensity, easier, more controlled sessions at the back end of my cycle. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. And something that I find really hard as well is knowing where you feel best and where you feel worst. And then you're looking ahead at like when your cycle is predicted to come and a race falls like right in that premenstrual phase and you're like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can be really hard, but I think for us understanding where our body is at is one thing that can really help our confidence. I think it's important to just like know exactly why you feel a certain way. And then you also have to understand when you're in training, your body is fatigued and tired. And when your body is fatigued and tired, your hormones are most likely going to be affecting you even more. And so when you're approaching a race, you are going into a race tapered, which means that your body is going to be feeling fresher. And I, t I tend to find that when I'm training less, I suffer less PMS, less symptoms before my cycle. I feel just a little bit better about things. So, uh, it is one thing that you can't control. Like you're yeah. not going to be able to control the date of the race and that's completely fine. But there's definitely things you can do. You probably know more than me around mitigating symptoms in your cycle through the foods you eat um, and hydration, obviously, but also rest and recovery. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the more you understand about it and how your cycle impacts you as an individual, it gives you so much more confidence in navigating that and your training and preparing for races that may fall in that time of the month too. So. Yeah, definitely. It's all education and knowledge. It's yeah. key. Yeah, definitely. So with your Femi runs you do, um, are there pros and cons to group running versus solo running and what do you prefer? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think so we run Femi run communities in four cities at the moment um, and they all fall on a Friday, Friday mornings, and they're all very like uh, easy, not intimidating at all community jogs. So it's just bringing together women to just connect with one another. Like this morning before we went on the run, I just said like, 
what day of the cycle is everyone on? Like, who's got the period? <laughs> because we want to normalize these, normalize these conversations. And even for women, they don't feel normal. So if girls are turning up to our communities and hearing me asking them what day of the cycle they're on or what if they've got their period, hopefully they can like continue that normality of talking about menstrual cycles into other areas of their lives. So it's really cool. Um, and for me, like I love communities. I love group running. I've been part of multiple running communities over my time. And I think I've never quite seen a running community like Femi. And it probably sounds really biased, but it isn't about me. It isn't even about Femi. It's just about these incredible women that have come together to connect to one another. And they've built what Femi is. Like, it's so amazing seeing these women that become best friends through the community. They go on trips together, the way they support each other. And yeah, it's just super inspiring. So Running with them for me is like the highlight of my week to be able to just get that energy from them. And I'm very, very grateful to have that. I think running in a community and with other people can be dangerous at times. I've been in communities that have been really toxic, really competitive. It's all about who's running the fastest. And if you run the fastest, you get the most attention from the leaders and you get, you know, supported because of how fast you are and how good you look and what sort of kit you're wearing and it's just not a healthy place for especially beginner runners to be. It's not welcoming at all. So it's it's important to find the right community for you and understand the purpose of being part of that community. If you're part of the community to get fitter and faster and be competitive, fine. That's If that's your like one goal, then go and join a community that's going to do get you do that or encourage you to do that. But for me, community is not about being competitive with each other. Community is about supporting each other and being there for each other no matter what. And, yeah, so I I do run when I'm in Melbourne. I do run with people a lot. But I'm, I'd like to say I'm relatively selective with the people that I train with um, only because when you're doing hard sessions, it's so important to have people around you that do you feel supported by mm-hmm. and they are there to help you just as much as you're there to help them. And so when I'm doing hard sessions, there's only probably two or three people in Melbourne that I'll do that sort of work with. And then easy runs, obviously, like being part of the Femi community is so wholesome and great for me. Um, but I also love running by myself. So I try to get a balance. And when I'm up in Noosa, I pretty much run alone majority of the time. And it is nice, I think, when you're running in nature and you're by yourself, there is just nothing more clarifying. Like mm. it's so pure and you're connecting to the environment and you're connecting to nature. And I I really believe there's this like spiritual connection you can get to Mother Earth through running and you have to kind of be by yourself to do that and you really get lost amongst the trees or the ocean or the river or whatever you're wherever you're running. Um but it really does allow you to feel at peace with who you are. So I love running alone, especially on the trails, but um, I do miss people when I'm up in Noosa. There is something so special about moving your body in nature though. It's, it's really the best. It's so lovely. Yeah, it is. And I think I was having this conversation with Esther, uh, my best friend the other day talking about, you know, city people versus uh, people that live in nature or live like by the beach. And uh, I was saying, I feel like people who are by the ocean, especially, but anywhere in nature, they're just so much calmer and relaxed (laughs) about things and like really know who they are and have a really clear mind about who they are. 
And then I feel like a lot of people in cities are just like, go, 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 go. They're so lost amongst the grind and are so disconnected to themselves. And I feel like everyone needs to spend time in nature, but to be able to live there and see like the ocean every day and connect to the environment, I think that's why so many like Indigenous people especially are so connected to the earth mm-hmm. and and you go to some of these third world countries around the world and the people are just so happy and they have nothing, but they're so connected to the earth. And I'm like, that's goals. Like that's how we all should be living, you know, like really aware of our surroundings. But people living in in cities and on the rat race, they're just so unaware, I feel. I, you know, I spend a lot of my time between what I would call a small rural alpine town and um, a small city, which is Christchurch. And I definitely noticed that, like, you know, when I went to, say, Melbourne or places like New York, I it's it's amazing, but I feel stressed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Every time I fly into Melbourne, I feel stressed. <laughs> but it, it is good to get out Um and there's definitely pros of being in the city and being amongst other people, but just being aware of like getting away and and spending time out of the concrete jungle is important. Nice balance, yeah. Yeah. So with Femi, uh, where where was this idea born? Yeah, so we started Femi in 2020. Uh, Esther, myself, and one of our other coaches, Paige, were throwing around some ideas around how we could start kind of like this community. I guess for me, I've been running my coaching company for about four or five years at this point. And my other company is online coaching, uh, programming for runners all over the world. And I had written thousands, maybe 4,000 programs through my other coaching company. And it kind of had got to the point where I was like, I do want to do something else and I want to involve other people in this journey as well and how can I kind of do that and then Esther definitely wanted to start doing more coaching and we had been through this journey and understanding our own bodies and the importance of looking after our menstrual cycles and fueling correctly and taking this holistic approach to training and at this point we'd really seen the results of it you know like I was performing really well and I felt so much better in my body I no longer spent hours every day consumed by what I looked like it was I think for us it was just like how can we take these learnings from our own experiences and share them with the world and encourage more women to feel empowered in their own bodies and so Femi was born as really like a coaching company to provide women with training that aligns to their menstrual cycle and I guess that's the easiest way to put it but there is so much more that goes on than just seeing a program we really are there for our women to inspire them and support them and and educate them about themselves and empower them to be like yeah my body did just take me through 10ks or a half marathon or a marathon I don't give a shit what I look like like look what I just did like that's really what we're chasing for these women and we're really passionate about gender equality and breaking down those barriers and I think through the act of sport it's one incredible tool that we have to build confidence in women to break those barriers down. So although we are a sporting coaching company, um, I'm hoping we are changing the future for women in general, not just for women in sport. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's one of the, the main values behind Femi? Definitely, yeah. Our, our values and our mission is really to 
be that go-to safe space for women to feel empowered in their bodies and learn about their bodies. But we also work with all gender and non-gender people. We have got Vinny Theory now. It's just our education course. So this is built to coach coaches and trainers of men, women, non-binary gendered uh, people to understand how to work better with women. Mm-hmm. So um, we know that women are so influenced by the people around them and trainers and coaches have a huge responsibility over women's bodies. And I think it's been really underestimated to date how much responsibility they have and the words they use and obviously the programming um, and the way they approach conversations with their women. It's just, there's no education out there to teach people how to do that in a really healthy, sustainable way. And so we built Femi Theory to hopefully change that and to give even coaches and trainers the confidence when walking, working with women so hopefully we can kind of, we're trying to tackle it from all angles. We're working directly with athletes, but we're working with coaches and trainers and sporting organisations and leaders as well. Mm. It's an amazing initiative. I've um, been following along the Femi theory as you've released it, and it, it sounds fantastic. It's such a valuable resource, and I hope a lot of um, coaches and other health professionals get on board behind that as well. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited. We've, you know, we've been working with some incredible brands like Nike over here, and we're really chasing like the sporting organisations across New Zealand. I think there's been a lot of talk recently in the media about how poorly they are serving women and how much better they could be doing. And so for us to kind of bring these conversations to light, to be like, you don't need to do anything but get educated, then things can really change. And so a lot of them do see the power and the content we've created and the way that they can kind of use that to better space for their women. So we're hoping that we can kind of get involved in some of those organisations to push the content out and, and encourage girls to stay in sport. Because at the end of the day, like the next generation of girls are the ones we really want to continue to encourage, uh, to stay in sport and movement. So if we can make some changes today, then hopefully in the future things will change in terms of those crazy stats. And do you still work with male athletes or do you just focus mainly on femina? I still write programs for male athletes. I still run my existing coaching company. Um, so I work with yeah any gendered or non-gendered people through there and I work a uh, program from beginner runners all the way through to ultra marathons essentially. Um, but majority of my time is spent between Femi and Nike and then if we um, if any athletes want guidance and programming I definitely still do that so yeah there's a lot going on but it's good it's good fun it's all intertwined to one thing it's good to have lots of different things going on though because then you know it keeps you uh, keeps you interested in what you're doing mm. definitely and I think uh, every athlete that I work with I get to learn something from and whether it's a woman or a man it doesn't you know I think it's powerful for me to just continue to learn as well so I'm very fortunate that I kind of have access to these incredible athletes and be part of their journey like it's a privilege to be a coach and to be on this journey because through a running training program you're not just learning how to run like you learn so much about yourself and Mm -hmm. it's awesome like seeing or hearing from athletes once they've completed their goal to be like I did that like thank you for helping and I'm like my gosh you did all the work I just like wrote you the program but it's awesome to kind of be part of that journey I'm so so grateful for it and I think the best coaches too are the ones that aren't just there to like you know, what's your running, what's your plan, and that's all that's there. It's so much more. It's what, you know, everything else that's going on in their life because it all ties into running. So having coaches that are, like, actually interested in everything else that's happening. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's, like, 
why we've been so particular about bringing on coaches with Femi because it is such a um, it's a very vulnerable space for women to be entering into when you're talking to them about their menstrual cycle and about how they feel about their body and about their confidence in themselves. So with us and our coaches, we've now got 11 coaches and trainers across NZ and Aussie. We've just been really like really particular about their personalities and how they can build relationships and how they can encourage women, but not push them over their edge. And it is, um, yeah, it's a balancing act, but we're very lucky to have the team we have. We've got some incredible women working for us and yeah, very lucky. <laughs> and with the business side of things, is there anything quite unique about working alongside or, you know, having your best friend as the co-founder? Yeah, we're so, I feel like I just keep saying grateful and lucky, but um, we are so, so lucky to be working with each other. I think going into business with your best friend, I would say 99% of people would say, don't do that. But, you know, <laughs> we had people saying it's never going to work. You guys can't work together. You're two similar personalities. And honestly, me and Esther have just worked so well with one another. We 100% get each other we are chasing the same goal. We want the same thing at the end of the day for Femi and for women. We want to build this community for women all over the world to feel empowered in themselves. And that is why I think when we are at work and we're making decisions, we, we're we so good at having conversations about what is best for the community. And um, the fact that Esther is over in New Zealand the majority of the time and I'm in Australia does find we do find that difficult. Like we're on Zoom, you know, pretty much all day, every day, just working alongside each other. But we've just spent the last 12 weeks on an accelerator program called Startmates, the biggest accelerator program in Australasia. And they had 300 companies apply and only 12 got through. And we were just like very lucky to be one of the chosen companies. And so we're just coming to an end of that accelerator program and I even think over the last 12 weeks we've learned so much about each other and, and how the company is growing and our own you know in a startup when you are a founder you pretty much do everything you wear you know you wear the hat of every role at some point and I think now the company's growing so much we are finding our own feet amongst the company and what we are going to be doing separately and what we can do together and um, I think that process has been a, like a little bit challenging because we both love the same things, but at the end of the day, we still want what's best for the company. And we're very good at just saying, you know what, well, you're really good at that. I'm really good at that. And being really open about it. I think, again, we've grown up in this world where women are kind of told to sit down and shut up and don't talk about your strengths and don't stand out and don't, you know, be too loud. And I think it's been really interesting with me and Esther just learning to be like, yeah, I am really good at that. Or that's what I like. That is my strength and admitting your weaknesses too. But I think even just the power and being confident in yourself has come so much through the work that Esther and I have done together. And I've just, it's been awesome watching Esther grow through the process as well. I think um, watching your best friend develop into this and like incredibly powerful businesswoman is amazing and we're getting up on stage next week in front of like four or five hundred people and speaking and even that it's just like I'm so proud of her I know she's really proud of me and we just like couldn't have done it without the community so we're just very grateful <laughs> to be um to be doing what we do very special relationship and a great match I would say in terms of going into business 
Yeah. 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 I think so. Like we, we've been told and sent like clips from business books saying why the best friend like business relationships don't work. Um, and we just roll our eyes at it and kind of turned a blind eye to it because you never know until you try. And once you try, you figure it out. So for us, we've just been doing what feels right for us and it seems to be working. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's fantastic. So what's next for you in terms of like running what's coming up in the next few months good question uh, <laughs> I don't honestly I don't really have any specific plans at this point I'm going on holiday next week so I haven't had a holiday since Christmas time so I've been pretty much on the grind since then and I'm really excited to have a bit of a break from work I will I'll probably run a little bit while I'm away but um I I think I might run some track over summer I didn't run track season the last year I think uh, when you're running marathons, you don't get the opportunity to get on the track that much because you're either in a marathon boat or recovering from a marathon. And so for me, I really enjoy track because it puts me out of my comfort zone. I think it's something that really like tests me, not just in pace, but also being in front of a crowd when all eyes are on you, like it is intimidating. And in a marathon, you can kind of get lost amongst the crowd. Uh, so I think for me, getting in, back on the track and running hopefully some fast times will it will ultimately help my marathon anyway. So I think you might see me running some fives and 10Ks, uh, hopefully nothing shorter, um, over the summer. And then next year, because I missed Chicago this year, I really want to get over and run Chicago Marathon next year. So I've got 12 months of plenty of time. Fantastic. And your coach now, I can imagine, is a completely different coach to the one who gave you a really negative experience in your 20s. <laughs> I actually am coaching myself, so yes, she is very different. Um, <laughs> I I kind of went down the path of finding a coach uh, earlier this year to help me, and I've been chatting a little bit with Lisa Waitman. I'm not sure if you know Lisa. She's an Australian Olympian. She's an incredible runner and really supportive of my own journey, and so I potentially will lean on her in the future. But at the moment, I am just looking after myself, and I think with everything else going on, it's probably the best place to be and just making decisions that's right for me on the day. But yeah, I, I don't think I'll be going back to any of my uh, past coaches, that's for sure. Did you ever hit him up about it, knowing what you know now? I've never had the open conversation. I assume he knows Yeah. because I speak about it a lot and it is part of my story and he is still coaching women. Um, so I hope from me speaking, you know, it doesn't just stop him, but it stops other men and women um approaching female athletes in an appropriate way but um yeah I've never talked to him I probably will one day <laughs> yeah tricky oh cool well look thanks so much for your time today Lydia it's been wonderful I hope my questions haven't been too repetitive to all the other amazing podcasts you've been on <laughs> no there were some really really great questions thank you so much <laughs> Um, I've actually just started introducing in my podcast now a quick fire five to finish. So they're a bit of Love a surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm all about it. What is your favorite meal? Oh, my favorite meal is probably pasta. Oh, love it. Yep. <laughs> Any type of pasta. I love pasta. Recent favorite book? This is probably not a quick fire question. I... I have a favorite book and it's called Into the Magic Shop. I wouldn't say I've read it recently, but it was it's an incredible book. Um, it's all about the mindset and um, manifestations and like believing in yourself. I, very powerful. Hmm. Haven't heard of that one. I might have to look it up. Yeah, I think you'll love it. Into the Magic Shop by James Dottie. Okay, cool. 
Um, favorite workout? Oh, favorite running workout would definitely be K reps. I love K reps. I think they are hard enough to make you feel like you've really worked, but not like absolutely cooked it. Yeah. Favorite place in the world? I have to say Mount Monganui only because I grew up there and I have so many memories there and being on top of the mount, there's like no better feeling. So it feels like obviously I'm home, but also surrounded by many people I love. Stunning spot. Yeah. And lastly, a piece of advice you would tell your 10 year old self. Be patient and trust the process. Yeah. I think patience is something I'm only just learning now and I wish I had that when I was younger and I probably wouldn't have pushed myself so hard in my 20s but yeah patience and process two things I think would be good to know as a young person wise words to finish on (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much yeah thank you Lydia it's been wonderful to have you on and um hope to talk to you again soon thank you